Welcome to Grass Talk Radio. This show is for people who play bluegrass music and anybody who might want to. The prison guard shut the iron door behind me. Howdy folks and welcome back to Grass Talk Radio. This is your friendly and lovable host, Bradley Laird. Today's episode is going to be a freewheeling rap about the subject of capos. You may be somebody who knows about capos, and you may be somebody who says, well, that doesn't apply to me. I play the fiddle. I don't need to know a thing about a a capo. And you may be right about some of that, but, but I think even if you play bass, typically not capoed, fiddle, typically not capoed, that you still might want to listen. Mandolin also, by the way, typically not capoed in a bluegrass context. And I haven't even told you what a capo is. For the very few of you who do not know, it is a little gizmo, a device that acts like an artificial finger. I had this meme that I put on Twitter one time. Of course, it got no attention and no likes whatsoever, where I took a a photograph of a capo And then I took a photograph of an index finger and I superimposed them and basically made this imitation where it looked like there was a rubber finger on the capo. And I called it the stealth capo. (laughs) You could put this on, it would look like you had an extra finger because that's what a capo is. It's one extra finger to hold down all the strings thereby raising the pitch of the entire instrument. Anyway, we're going to come back and I'm going to rap on the subject of capos, much like I would do if if some kid came into his mandolin lesson and I had been teaching him, let's say, Amazing Grace in the key of G. And I told him before he went home, and I, we had talked about transposition and moving tunes into other keys, and I said, your assignment this week is to take what you know about playing Amazing Grace in the key of G, and when you walk in the door next week, I want you to play it for me in the key of A. And they go off, and then the little smart aleck 12-year-old kid comes in next week, and he, I say, okay, you know, blurry-eyed, and I'm like, all right, kid. So let me look at my notes here. Your assignment Amazing Grace in the key of A. So, all right, let's hear it. And I'm just looking off to the side and listening. Not really looking at at him. And he starts playing Amazing Grace in A, and it sounds really good. And I look over, and the little wise guy has a capo on the second fret of his mandolin. He somewhere got him a capo. And, uh... He decided, well, the quickest way to turn that G version into A is to slap the capo on the second fret. That actually happened to me at one of my countless lesson experiences, which has taught me so much over the years. I mean, it's one thing to teach yourself, which is how we all learn to play, but it's it's a completely different thing to try to transmit that to another human being and see if you can help them learn to play. And I've I've decided many years ago that I can't actually teach anyone to play. That I can only teach them how to teach themselves how to play. Anyway, we're going to talk about capos, but before I do that, I want to uh, answer a one quick email just because it's it's pretty current in episode 130. At the close of the show, that was the second in the series on recording. So I think it was called, let's see, the first was Recording Basics. That was 129. 130 was, um, gosh, I can't even remember the title of my own podcast from last week. Uh, Recording, not technology. All right, y'all help me out. What, What was the title of last week's podcast? I am now pulling it up on my Podbean account, just to be sure. It was recording something. Oh, options. Recording options. So, in recording options, at the very end, you know, I usually put a little closing music. I don't abruptly cut off my podcast as if the tape broke. (laughs) 
Anyway, so I, I stick something on there and many episodes ago, and you may be one of those people who are listening to one of those episodes that I did two years ago. And I don't even remember what I've said in those episodes. I, I, I need to take about three weeks off and listen to all of them and take some notes. <laughs> but I, I doubt I will. But if you've been listening, I do recall talking about if you have a band or you go see a band and you you got some people that have some music that they want to let the world hear, contact me. I would love to use your original song, original recording, your band, whatever. I want to stay away from, you know, crazy copyright problems, so don't send me cover songs. But if you've got a band or you know a band, contact me, you know. I, I have to apologize. There was, And I've done this on several, several shows. We had uh, City Hotel and I forget some of the other ones, but I have used your music as the closing theme music. And I, I want to keep doing that. So, you know, if you go every Tuesday night to watch this band, say, hey, there's this guy that's got this bluegrass podcast and he's asking for people that they've got, you know, some original material or whatever, ask them, send it to me. Uh, send me an email first so that I can tell you, you know, in what form to send it. Don't send me like 10 tracks, you know, the 10 gigabytes or something of, of, uh, in all attached to one email. Let's just get it down to one or two songs and, uh, Send me a link to an MP3 file, and we'll stick it on here. Anyway, the question that I got, and I'm like Gene Shepard, just wandering everywhere right now. I said in a couple of episodes ago, I think 129, that I'm going to do a questions show. So if you got a question, send it in. I've gotten a, a couple. I've got about three which is three is a crowd actually. So I have a crowd of questions right now, three, I would like 10 or 12. So if you're listening to this podcast and you've got some goofy bluegrass question, it doesn't even have to be bluegrass. It could be like, Hey man, who cut your hair? I don't care what the question is. Send me a question. So here's how you do it. I'm going to reveal this. And I always say, go to bradleylaird.com, click contact and You'll see how to, here, here's my email address, brad at bradleylaird.com. It's that simple. Brad at bradleylaird.com. Maybe put in the subject, question for the podcast. So that I, you know, don't, I get a good bit of spam and I don't want to have yours be accidentally, oh, that gummit, I erased that one. Send me your questions. I don't care what it's about. It could be about me personally. It could be about uh, why do you think you're so smart you can do a podcast. I don't care if it's a smart aleck question. I don't care if it's a legitimate question like what type of strings do you use on your mandola or whatever. I don't care. Send me your questions. And I'm going to assume, by the way, that if you send me a question, however you sign the email is how I'm going to identify you. So if you want your full name, you know, Bradley P. Witherspoon Third Esquire, sign your email that way. However you sign your email is how I'm going to identify you. Here I've got a question from Roscoe P. Coltrane about fist string banjo capos and whatever. And keep your question sort of succinct. Send it to me. And I want to compile these into an episode and knock out a bunch of questions. Because if you have a question, somebody else may have the same question. Plus, you get to hear your name on the podcast. And isn't that cool? I know my Patreon patron supporters over at patreon.com slash Bradley Laird. They feel the love every time I read off the list of names. And I want you to be in that group, too. So get over there and help me out doing this podcast. So, but I did get one question. I'm just going to answer it right now because it was so timely with the last episode. Somebody wrote me and said, Hey Brad, what was that song at the end 
of the last episode. And that would be episode 130, that recording, I've already forgot the title again, Recording Options. That little song, I, I chose it, I, I should choose these before I record, because then I could tell you what they are. I, I chose it after I recorded and was editing, and I'm like, I need something to put on the end. And I wanted to use an example, some music that was home recorded. So what you hear at the end of episode 130 is just a little home recording. It's just me messing around. I don't even think I put a bass on it. I was really just fooling around in the, in the home studio. It is recorded on a Boss BR-8, which I talked about in that episode. Kind of, you know, old technology, but they still work, and you could buy them really cheap on eBay. Um, and I was just laying down multiple tracks, singing a song, playing guitar, mandolin, and low-tuned, you know, a la Johnny Hartford-type banjo picking. And it, the song is the old Titanic which was a song that I learned off of one of the very, very first quote-unquote bluegrass records I ever bought. And, you know, I immediately tried to learn some of those songs that were on this compilation. It was really mostly old-time and pre-bluegrass music. It was the Smith Brothers and or, or Arthur Smith and Uncle Dave Macon and just a bunch of weird stuff on there. And one of them was this song called The Old Titanic, and that's what I'm singing. So uh, to answer the question, the song was the old Titanic, and I didn't think to pull the record out. Obviously written 25 years after the Titanic sank, because the first line is, it was 25 years ago when the wings of death came low. So that's me singing, that's me playing the banjo in that low-tuned, can't remember if I was in D or an E, probably D. That's me doodling around on the mantle and throughout the whole thing and playing guitar. So, But it was recorded, you know, one track at a time, exactly as I described in episode 130. So that's what that was, the old Titanic. And now there, I've got, you know, this couple of other emails. I've got one from, I'm, I'm kind of getting backlogged on email because I've been doing this back and forth drive to Columbus, Georgia every day, which is an hour one way to get my son over to the, Rainy McCullough School of the Arts. And some days I stay there all day and some days I come back home. But I have the day off. My my wife is is took my son this morning and went to Columbus and is working remotely today. So that's all cool. And I think maybe he's gotta go to the dentist or something. She's picking him up and taking him to the dentist. But during the, you know, since school started August 7th, God, you know, when I was a kid, they started after Labor Day. What, what's up with this starting in August thing? Anyway, I have a, a backlog of a couple of emails that I've been meaning to answer, and I just haven't gotten around to. I haven't even responded yet to a guy named Patrick. Patrick is a pilot on the Mississippi River. I, I don't know if he goes up the Illinois or the Ohio, but... Uh, you know, hauling barges up and down the the uh, Mississippi River. And he sent me an email a while back, and I just had to stop and think once again, there are so many ways to make a living in this world. And you forget about, you know, you go over the bridge and drive across the bridge, and you see those barges down there, and you don't think there's a guy in the pilot house up there, and this is his responsibility. I think he said it was like, Eight days down and 12 days up, you know, back and forth. Not sure what he's hauling. I think in this email he said he was hauling propane in this recent trip. But anyway, Patrick, I haven't forgot about you. I, I do mean to address your email. I, I did respond to his early emails, but I'm just getting behind on the emails. So I want to do this Answer Your Emails podcast. I've got an email sitting there from Keith Billick of the Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast. Love that podcast. Love the the recent one he did. I think it's the most recent uh, on the mic shootout. If you want to hear a bunch of microphones and compare them, uh, go to Keith Billick's 
Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast. And but anyway, I've got an email from him. He sent me a question, and you know, I commented on his on his podcast, and that one's sitting there needing to be replied to. I've got one from this is to me it's funny to to James it's not funny. I got a an email from a, a fellow named James. And he said, I live in Guam. And I'm immediately I'm thinking, this this guy's just joking. He's just pulling my leg. I mean, like Guam. To me, Guam is like this joke. It's like uh, BFE, if you know where that is on the globe. That's a, you just use it as a figure of speech. You don't think there's actually people in Guam. But James is in Guam and has got him a banjo and is trying to learn how to play that thing. James, I have not forgotten about you. I got your email, and I did respond to the first one, but then he replied back, and I just haven't answered all the questions in it about banjo setup and so on, so I'm going to address that one in this upcoming email response, um, get-me-out-of-the-doghouse type of episode. Uh, This episode, by the way, as are all of my episodes, is brought to you by BradleyLaird.com and all the many wonderful instructional bluegrass-oriented materials that I peddle online. And I was going to talk about the Clawhammer Banjo Beginner Pack because I got to thinking, you know, I've done a lot of episodes. where I, I've done episodes where I even forgot to mention my own website. And then I hear all these other podcasts, we're sponsored by the Mandolin Cafe, we're sponsored by, you know, Peghead Nation, we're sponsored by Shub Capos, and, you know, this one is sponsored by Bradley Laird himself, because this whole podcast is just an extension of what I do, which is try to help other people learn how to pick. That's all I really do. And so I thought, you know, from now on, I'll probably forget next week, but from now on, I'm going to mention one of my products. And I'm sorry if you don't like commercials, just hit the fast forward button. I have timed it so that when you hit that 30 seconds forward, you're still going to get the punchline. But this one I want to mention today is what is known as the Claw Hammer Beginner Pack. And it's a download that you can get off my site if you go to bradleylaird.com slash claw. I think it is, or just scroll down through bradleylaird.com and you'll see the Clawhammer Banjo free lessons and video lessons. Just go to that video lessons and you'll find it. Or if you want to get to it quicker, go to payhip.com slash bradleylaird. That takes you directly into my store where you can download it. The Clawhammer Beginner Pack is the first six lessons, video lessons, of how to play claw hammer and all you all you scrugs pickers i know in the back of your mind you want to learn the basic claw lick i've taught it to many students who've come along they're like hey man could you do you play any claw hammer i'm like yeah could you show me and we would you know do four or five weeks of claw hammer because it's fun to do and if you're a claw hammer player, I recommend the opposite. You know, get you some picks and try to learn a little Sally Gooden up the neck and all that stuff. Anyway, I did a series of 18 video lessons. And this package, the beginner pack, is the first six of that series of 18 videos. And the whole thing is 32 bucks. So you're getting six very beginning. I mean, this is, you know, from scratch lessons on playing claw hammer for 32 bucks. If you bought them separately, it'd be 48. So you're basically getting two of the videos free. All of the videos also include a PDF of the tablature for what you're learning. And I go through uh, and teach multiple versions of Cripple Creek and Cumberland Gap. And I use those two songs in different versions. I start with very simple versions, and then I progress, you know, adding fretted notes, pull-offs, hammer-ons, slides, and so on to those same songs. So you learn Cripple Creek very simple, and then you learn it version 2, version 3, version 4, and so on, and you're adding in new techniques. Uh, so anyway, you're going to get these videos. It's 31 
minutes um, total. I think that's the total. Let me actually look over here at the description. Yeah. Beginning techniques, the first lesson is 31 minutes. The second one is called Basic Strums and Picking, and that's 18 minutes. Fretted Notes is 27 minutes. Pull-offs, that's the fourth lesson, is 40 minutes. Hammer-ons is 31 minutes, and Slides is 26 minutes. It's a total of 173 minutes, 2 hours, and 53 minutes of instruction. And let me read what I said here. For about the same price as a couple of half-hour lessons at a music store, if you can even find a Clawhammer banjo teacher. Anyway, that is the Clawhammer banjo beginner pack. It's the first six lessons of my series of 18 total lessons. And you can find it over at payhip.com slash Bradley Laird. All right, enough commercials. Let's talk capos. One of the one of the great websites. I love websites that were made like in the early days of websites. You know, I am so tired of today, you know, following a link to a website and it's all an adaptive mobile friendly with pop ups and you know please acknowledge our cookie policy and all this stuff. I love it when I go to a website and it was look it looked like mine, you know, like made in nineteen ninety two six or something i like those kind of websites because they just work better they may be a little small on your phone and you may have to zoom in and stuff but i like a website where it looks like the guy was an early adopter of the internet and this one is clearly that it's a beautiful classic case of late 90s, early 2000s website design, you know, with the background image file, which is repeated and so on. But it's called the Sterner Capo Museum. And if you care, if you've even heard of a capo, you have to go to this site and scope it out. Frankly, if you go lounging around this site, you don't need to even listen to this podcast. Sterner, whoever Sterner is has created a website called the Sterner Capo Museum. Just Google that, and there'll only be one, and he gives you the history. He apparently has, his name is Anders, Anders Sterner, and I don't know where he lives. Hmm. It's uh, sternercapo.se. Uh, so, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what country. I don't think he's in the U.S. Anyway, he has the information on capos. You want to see pictures of like early capos, the first capos, and all the crazy capos that have been designed. It's like the old, you know, build a better mousetrap thing. People are always trying to come up with another capo, you know, a better way, a newer way and stuff. Go scope out the Sterner, S-T-E-R-N-E-R, Capo Museum. All right, now you know how to get there. Now, I'm just going to talk about my experience with capos. First of all, capos are required for playing bluegrass music. Now, I don't want to sound like Man, you're just like trying to push your ideas on everything. Well, maybe I am. No, what I'm trying to do is preserve the sound of bluegrass. If I'll give you an example. A couple of weeks ago at at the jam that I started up down at Pat's place, I was surrounded by five guitars. Some of them had capos and some of them did not. And, you know, for the styles of music that they normally play, Maybe they never use a capo. I get that. I get that. But in bluegrass, to have that sound on a guitar that sounds like bluegrass, you need to employ the capo. Playing in the key of B, using bar chords, is a valid musical way to play, but it's not going to sound like bluegrass. Because traditionally, 
All bluegrass guitar players have used capos to get up in them higher keys. Not in every case. I mean, there, there are exceptions to every rule. But in general, we're in bluegrass attempting to maintain the sound of those open strings and the hammer-ons and the flats G run. And quite frankly, it's a lot easier too. And that was probably the original intention of a capo. Make it easier. You know, like the kid coming in with his Amazing Grace in A, and he slaps the capo on because it was easier than actually learning to play it in open A. But there's something in the sound. There's something in the chord voicings that using a capo, if somebody plays a B chord, a B major bar chord, got their first finger stretched across the fourth fret of the guitar and they're basically playing in what would have been an E major chord with their second, third, and fourth fingers. Boom, the big you know, rock and roll bar chord. Then, for comparison, you put a capo on the fourth fret and you play your good old open G. World of difference. Totally different um, chord stack. And, you know, those bar chords just don't sound like bluegrass. I'm sorry. You know, there are times you have to use them because people have inserted all sorts of chords into bluegrass context and songs so that you're going along and all of a sudden you need to hit a B minor. Well, that's your best choice as a bar because there is no good way to do it with you capo and so on. But what I'm saying is my opinion is that if you want to play bluegrass, get a capo. If you're a guitar player, if you're a banjo player, if you're a dobro player. Now, I will say in dobro, it's a little bit of gray area, but let me take these one by one by instrument. I've already talked some about the guitar. The beauty of a capo is that that lick you played tuned open, you know, you're playing a song in G, sitting on top of the world in G. And then somebody says, hey, could you do, that's a little low for me, could we do it in A? All you got to do is slap the capo on the second fret, and you have a shorter guitar that sounds in A, and you play the same thing. I mean, it's beautiful. You don't have to think. You learned it in G, and now you know it in A. Now the bass player over there, he's got to think or the mandolin player over there, or the fiddle player, because they don't have the capos. So up comes this confusion where the guitar player is thinking in the key of G. He's going G, C, and D. And the mandolin player is thinking A, D, and E. So it does get confusing, which is why I so often press the case for learning the chord progressions by the numbers, because G, C, D is one four five and when you go to a it's still one four five if you go to f sharp it's one four five if you go to b flat it's one four five it's just one four five so if you learn the number system it's easier to communicate because your mandolin player you're playing the guitar you got your capo on the third fret let's say and you're playing a g chord in your mind but it's really a b flat and you and he says what's that chord you got to say, uh, uh, it's a G plus three fret, B flat. So he's thinking B flat, and then he looks on his mandolin, and he finds a B flat. What's the next chord? And so on and so on. It's like all this converting going on. And I think you need to know how to do that, but to do it on the fly in real-world situations slows you down. So you... you I've been at jams and, you know, there's a bass player who doesn't know the song and a mandolin player who doesn't know the song and a guitar player with a capo who doesn't know the song and another guitar player without a capo who doesn't know the song. And they go, hey, Brad, what's that second chord? I, well, for you, it's a G and for you, it's an A, you know, it gets really confusing. I'd rather say it's just one, four, one, two, four, one, you know, whatever. It'd be a whole lot easier, but, you know, they don't know that. Capos are key-changing devices. Without thought, you simply put them on. It's like tuning your instrument higher. 
you could just tune your strings up a half step. Now you're well, sitting on top of the world's now in G sharp. Of course, you're going to break some strings if you do that. And the capo will not break any strings. It's just a finger that holds the strings down. So guitar players, all I'm going to say is, if you play the guitar and you insist on saying, well, in my jazz classes at college, we never used a capo. We'd, we could play in any key, you know. And I know all these four-finger comp chords. And, I, you know, that's all great, but that's jazz. It ain't bluegrass. If you're going to play bluegrass, get yourself a capo. My suggestion for guitar is the shub. Just the old basic shub. I don't even care about the one with the roller and the uh, the fancy ones and stuff. I mean, I've, I've had them all. I've tried them all. I've given a few of them away. I've lost more capos than I've ever owned. I just like the good old my good old brass shub with the little plastic cone-looking thing on top where you can adjust it. I love that thing. That thing, and it'll work in a pinch on a good on a banjo um don't be one of them guys that insists on foisting your jazz chords onto the bluegrass world if you're gonna play bluegrass have a little respect for it and you know play the bluegrass sound you know what i'm saying okay so that's enough about guitar banjo is very similar if i say play foggy mountain breakdown in g you don't need a capo, and you cut down on Foggy Mountain Breakdown. Then some some crazy fool says, play it in A, which pretty much never happens. But let's just say it did. <laughs> let's say you had a fiddle player who spent all week working on it in A. Slap your capo on and play it in A. It's the same thing, you know. It's just, you don't have to reinvent the wheel or rethink everything. Just put your capo on. The banjo does have the additional um, little challenge of what do you do with the fifth string? And you tune the string up or down to get it to match. In other words, whatever you do to those four strings on the banjo, you got to do the fifth as well. And the solutions are many. <laughs> there is, um, I've seen people take ballpoint pen caps off of a big stick pen. The little... Uh, the little plastic uh, cap, and it's got a little pocket clip on it. And I've seen people poke that little triangular piece of plastic under the string, under the fifth string. Just stick it under there about an eighth of an inch, and that serves as their capo for the fifth. I've seen people use uh, 22 caliber pellets, little double cone-shaped lead pellets that you shoot in a pellet gun, you know, Go wandering around, you know, the hardware store and say, hey, you got any pellets for my pellet gun? You know, and those little pellets, they make them in 177 and 22 caliber. You can get them in both, but I don't know which one. But I've seen a guy use them. He's got like five or six of them in his pocket. And he pulls that little lead pellet out sticks it under the string and then moves it to whatever fret he wants to raise the fifth string to. It's a, it works little, but he, I'm sure he loses them, you know, all the time. And there are, you know, other ways to deal with a fifth string on a banjo. There are railroad model railroad spikes. That's the common thing. Model railroad spikes. HO gauge, by the way, N is way too small. So you get you some HO gauge model railroad spikes and you drill a microscopic hole. You've got to, you know, go to a specialty, you know, like go to Granger and, you know, look at the smallest drill bits they make. You got to have a really small drill bit and you drill a tiny hole. Don't just go pounding them into your banjo. You may split the fingerboard. I'm not trying to tell you how to install um, banjo, the little hooks for the fist string, just go pay somebody who's done it 50 times. You don't have to learn how to do everything, you know. Just go and get somebody to do it. It's a lot easier to have a guy that knows what he's doing. You know, he'll have the one 
for A turned one direction, he'll have the one for B turned the other direction, he'll have the one for T C turned the other direction. He'll offset them from the string just perfectly. He'll have the heads low enough and out of the way enough so that they do not buzz when you play open. And he will drill a proper hole. He will not split your neck. And he'll probably put a little epoxy or maybe a dot of super glue on it right before he taps it into the perfect depth. Get a professional. Some, I mean, it's crazy that there are professional fistering banjo capo installers in this world. But get somebody that knows what they're doing before you just get out your black and decker drill and start pounding spikes into your banjo neck. Just get to know the guy while you're at it. He may be able to help you out with your tailpiece too. Now I have done it myself because when I got started, I couldn't find anybody who even knew how to do this stuff. So it was the learn as you go plan and you screw up. I have, if you examine my banjo neck, you will see traces of these little HO gauge railroad spikes that I put them in and then I realized they were not exactly where I wanted them. Like my finger would hit them every time I did the two to five slide on the fourth string. I'd be like, oh man, maybe I should have put that one on the other side and turned it the other way. Stuff like that. The guy, hopefully, the guy you go to will know all that stuff. Now you can do it yourself. But since we're talking about capos, let me get back to capoing. Pretty much whatever you do to the banjo with the main capo, you would also need to do to the fifth string. That way the whole banjo climbs in pitch. All right, another little difference between guitar capos and banjo capos is that a banjo capo typically has a flat fingerboard. Just a plane, a theoretical flat plane. So the upper part of the capo, the part that presses down on the string, the artificial finger, is flat. Guitars tend to have a radius fingerboard. Not all guitars, and the radius varies. So the, the pressing down part of the capo of a guitar is generally curved radius. So bear that in mind. You can use a guitar capo on a banjo. It'll be a little too long and it'll be radius and you may have to, you know, crank down on it. It may push down a little too much on the first string and not enough on the third. If you're using a capo on a banjo, get yourself a banjo capo. It's the right width and it'll be flat. Same goes for mandolins. If you're going to be one of those people who uses a capo on a mandolin, and I have maybe twice in my entire playing career used a capo, and both of them were in recording session um, situations where somebody heard our band playing and their, you know, stepdaughter was a singer and she wants to do a record. And she books some time at the studio and contacts us to basically be her studio musicians. And our band, Cedar Hill or Pony Express or something, shows up at the studio. And she's got these original bluegrass songs. She's going to be a bluegrass singer. So she, of course, doesn't play an instrument or anything. Um, <laughs> anyway, she's going to cut this demo or make a CD or whatever. And, okay, here's the first song. And... This one is in G sharp or A flat. More like, get your capos out, boys. I'm not going to, you know, and it's just like an up-tempo bluegrass typey tune type of tune. I would carry capo to session gigs because you never knew what was going to be thrown in your lap. And basically there are eight keys that are commonly used in bluegrass music. There are four that are used a lot, and there are four others. And then there are four that are pretty much never, never played, except by inexperienced people who think that, you know, singing a song in A-flat is very important, 
Uh, you know, they just can't do it in A and they can't do it in G. They got it has to be A flat, and they just don't know. They just don't know. I mean, if you're such a talented singer, a half a step shouldn't kill you. If a half a step kills you, maybe you should, you know, get a job at CVS or Walmart or something. Anyway, that's the situations that I have carried a banjo capo around to use on a mandolin it'll get you out in a pinch you know somebody's doing something in some weird key i'm not against doing it i'll tell you flat out mandolins get choked to death by a capo you you put a capo on the first fret it may sound okay second fret third fret just forget it you can't really capo up a mandolin and still maintain any kind of decent tone because the strings just get way too short on dobro dobro i have mixed opinions i do use a capo on certain things when my brain is functioning more of in my banjo map you know because a dobro and a banjo are laid out very similar so if somebody's playing a tune that i know very well on the banjo and they're doing it in b or something i'm going to use a dobro capo which is just a bar of brass and rubber and stuff that just you know it just hangs on the strings and it acts as a big mass to stop the vibrations my experience with dobro capos though is everyone i've ever tried kills the tone and i don't know if it's because the string is getting shorter or just the damping effects the fact that that capo is hanging there on the strings and is not really connected to the upper end of the neck and i've tried some dobros where the capo was actually just a movable nut uh, there's a friend of mine a guy named jimmy this old fella here in in um america's here jimmy usry he's a dobro player and he's probably in his 70s and he's fooled with dobros for years and he's got that josh thing going on and i played some gigs with him as a bass player and and banjo a couple of times with their band called lonesome road jimmy just made his own capo and he took a deer antler and he he cut essentially a nut that he could insert between the strings and the and the fretboard he made a movable nut, basically, and he would get really good tone with that thing because the end of the string where the capo stops the string, you know, was, was terminated at the fretboard, and it more mimicked the, the actual, you know, musical waves that are transmitted through the neck of the instrument and stuff, but those capos that hang up on the strings, and that's what I use every week, I stick it on and my volume is 70% of what it was before I stuck it on. So sometimes I don't use it because with a with a dobro, if they're playing an A, I potentially could just slap my bar on there because the bar, the slide, is sort of a capo. It's acting just like that dobro capo. So when I put my bar down, it opens some doors for you as a dobro player in that you now have notes behind the bar that you can lift the bar and play. So if I'm playing a tune in A on the dobro, sometimes if it's really bluesy, I will use no capo. I'll stay in open G tuning and begin my root position at second fret. Then I've got those two frets down, you know, those flat sevens and stuff like that. Flat sevens and flat. I can get the flat third behind the bar. So it gives you some room to slide up into things, which is very characteristic in a dobro sound. But I would just say dobros kind of live, they walk the line. You know, sometimes if it's convenient, they'll use a capo. Sometimes if it's not, they will not, you know. If I'm playing a tune in E and I'm mostly going to be way up the neck, I'll probably not use a capo. I'm not going to capo up you know, second fret and think in the key of D when I could just go straight to E. And there are banjo players and guitar players and man, certainly all mandolin players and all fiddle players and all bass players who think that way. They're like, well, why should I monkey around with a capo? I can play an E. Well, sometimes you need that sound. 
you know, I don't want to hear somebody play train 45 in B without a capo. I did. I don't want to hear it. It don't sound like bluegrass. I mean, listen to some old Don Reno records. He was renowned as a banjo player who, who was so knowledgeable about the banjo fretboard that he didn't have to use a capo. He could play in any key. But the the tone of the banjo, to me, never equaled what Scruggs was doing because he'd slap the capo on and he'd get those open, ringing, really resonant tones. And I'm not nogging Don Reno. Don Reno was amazing. If if you're a banjo player today, Keith, Keith Billick, get yourself... A, Every Don Reno record, listen to them. I mean, they're just amazing. And they're kind of a counterpoint to Earl Scruggs. Scruggs had, you know, kind of his way, and Reno was just out there. Anyway, mandolin. Going back to mandolin, I've talked about, you know, use it as a cheater. And oftentimes people call a capo a cheater. Uh, get your cheater out and put it on the first fret, you know. Second fret. They would never say put it on the first fret. Um, on bass. D- believe it or not, I actually carry a guitar capo in my bass bag in the zipper compartment. I also carry one in my mandolin case. And why do I do that? Because I'm not going to use it. I'm not going to use it. But I don't want to play with this guy over here. who's like all of a sudden somebody's up in the key of B. And they're going to play, uh, I don't know, some Bill Monroe tune or something. The guy's never heard it. And he's watching the hands of the other guitar player who does know it and does, has heard it. He's watching his hands, but he don't have a capo. And that's when I go, here, (laughs) use this. Give it back to me at the end of the night, if you remember to. Fiddle players, y'all are on your own. I mean... Believe it or not, there are fiddle capos. I I was telling my friend Tony Duck, fiddle player, you know, he's a very good bluegrass fiddle player. I said, and mandolin player, and banjo player, and guitar player, and probably everything else. But he's primarily known as a fiddle player and a mandolin player. Tony, I said, hey, Tony, I've, I've been working, and I really was working on trying to develop a fiddle capo so you could just scoot this little wire thing up underneath the strings and slide it back and, you know, instantly instantly be playing in the key of B, which is really tough, you know. He's like, oh, you know they make them. I think I got one in my case here. You know, anyway, so whatever. The mother of invention. Here's the thing, which I'll close out with on capos. Well, first of all, go to the Sterner Capo Museum and do some exploring. It's fun. Second of all, if you're a guitar player in bluegrass, use a capo. And know all of your bar chords and all of your jazz chords and all of your comp chords because today's music uses a lot of this stuff. Know it all. Know it all. Know both. But if you work from a capo position... You're going to create that bluegrass sound. If you insist on being that, uh, you know, highbrow jazz guy or whatever, which it's funny, jazz really started out as a lowbrow music. And now it's sort of highbrow. It's been absorbed by NPR and classic. You know, if I'm going down the road, coming home from a jam session, and I turn on the radio and I'm scanning around and I hear, you know, NPR or, you know, some public radio station, they're either going to be playing classical or they're going to be talking to me in this blah, 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 you know, voice. Or I'm going to be hearing jazz and that's, it's like jazz has just been acquired, you know, by the classical. Now it's highbrow. Jazz is very highbrow. But it wasn't originally. It was about as lowbrow as you can get down, you know, as lowbrow as bluegrass. And, of course, bluegrass is now becoming split. There's the lowbrow bluegrass and there's the highbrow bluegrass. And the highbrow bluegrass are all the cool kids. You know, the cool kids with their... It reminds me of Burger King. 
and the Impossible Burger. Well, they named that one right. You can't have a hamburger without meat in it. I'm sorry, that's just impossible. And it's like an inside joke. We know this is impossible. You can't make a burger without beef. That's what a hamburger is. It's a big chunk of ground up beef and you cook it. And then you throw it on a bun and you put pickles and what you know. And they're it's funny. The impossible burger. Well, that's sort of what's happening in bluegrass. There's this impossible bluegrass out there, too. And great music. I mean, all right, I'm going to get myself in trouble here if I keep on. I better just shut up. Shut up, old man. Go back in your cave. Or you can go, go back and play your caveman bluegrass. I do love all that stuff. Hey, I was a huge Grisman fan and a huge New Grass Revival fan. You know, when they were playing that song, Reach, Man, that just blew me away. And I was like, well, I don't really care for that Bill Monroe, that singing and stuff. Ugh. That was me, but I've changed over the years. And I'm like, you know, you can get too far away. You can stretch that rubber band too far. You can Salvador Dali up that painting so much. You got this Norman Rockwell or this... uh I've got a, a picture in my bathroom of who, who's the the painter who painted like the farmer with the uh, the farmer and his wife and he's got the pitchfork in his hand. I don't remember who that was. Anyway, it's hanging over the toilet in the second bathroom. My my mom and dad had that little painting, and I stuck it up there. You can distort and twist and pull and you know. To the point things become unrecognizable. And it's kind of fun to do that to a point. But if you do it too much, you have no basis. There's no base to it. There's no, you, you don't know what what is this thing. I'm looking at this distorted thing, but what is it that I have distorted? If you go so far that you lose complete sight of the original undistorted classical, you know, the beautiful sculpture, you know, the Michelangelo, the uh, Leonardo da Vinci, the Bill Monroe. If you distort that so far that it's, there is no memory that you, that a, a person who's familiar with, the original comes up and looks and gets no sense that there's any content in it that is remotely connected to the original. Well, and I think you've gone too far. That's all I'm saying, but I don't care if you go too far Just Do whatever you want to do. I don't, you know, I've said many times, I don't care what you do. I do not care what you do. I don't care what you like. I don't care. It doesn't, doesn't affect me. You know, you do your thing. I'll do mine. But I think you'll you'll have more, I don't know if I'd call it success, but I think you need to maintain these threads, these ties back to shore. You know, like you want to paddle your boat out there in the rapids, it's really handy to have a, have a line back to the dock in case you get hung up and you can pull yourself back. Bluegrass is a traditional music. And if I hear bluegrass and I don't detect... <laughs> you know, even even remotely anything that resembles, you know, I, I see these things. I I just want to pull my hair out. Of course, I don't have much hair anymore because I pulled most of it out in, uh, you know, angst over some of these things. I go to the wonderful website, which I love. I love dearly. It's called bluegrasstoday.com. And I'm on their email list and they've plugged this podcast and, Love them guys and guys and probably gals. And I'll see these news stories, you know, they'll pop it up in like five stories a day. And this little thing, so-and-so dropped a track or so-and-so has passed or so-and-so had a baby or, you know, this band. And half the bands, half the bands I go to and I scope out their music. I'm like, that ain't bluegrass. And I'm not one of them old fuddy-duddies that if it ain't like Ralph Stanley or Flatten Scrubs or Bill Monroe, it ain't bluegrass. 
I'm not like that. I've already said, you know, I got the original DGQ albums. I, we've opened for David Grisman. I love that stuff. Ain't bluegrass, you know? It's got ties to bluegrass. Anyway, I go on there and it's bluegrass today, and I'm like, what? That isn't, that isn't even close to bluegrass. It's great music, but you know, come on, get creative people. Come up with a name. Call it something more accurate. Don't say this is a classical Greek sculpture in marble. When it's really this, you know, like melted uh, slag from a blast furnace that I fashioned into a thing that looks like a hawk's beak with wings. I'm sorry, dude. Your sculpture is not classical Greek sculpture. So don't call it that. Just call it, this is my crazy weird sculpture, you know. I mean, be honest. How about a little honesty in language? Okay, enough about all this. I rambled about capos to the point where I have no idea what I've even said. I hope that you enjoyed this little ramble, and I will talk to you next week. And I'm wondering right now... What am I going to play to go out? I have no idea. So just, I'm going to play something right now as a little bit of music, as a little fade out, so that the podcast just doesn't just like stop. Hey, one more thing I want to mention. And it's, it's sort of unusual that I would go back and repair the ending of a podcast. But... I finished recording the episode that you've just listened to and I got to talking about Don Reno and I was like, Hey Keith, you need to listen to Don Reno and get all his records and all this stuff. And I pulled out some Don Reno records, which were some of the first bluegrass records I ever owned. And I started listening to them. And then later, I can't remember if it was that day this has been a couple of days that I did this episode, and I am now doing the ending now a few days later. Um, I think it was the next day. I'm checking my podcast that I subscribe to, and I've told you before about the Josh Cole Bluegrass podcast. And I mentioned one time on the podcast, if anybody knows Josh, hey, hook us up. You know, I'd love to get Josh on the show and talk about his podcast and how he does it and, you know, his story and that sort of thing. And Josh and I have been talking. In fact, we had a podcast interview set up and ready to go. And then I had technical mayhem. If you remember the uh, Doug Hutchins interview at the end of that thing, I mean, that thing was a nightmare. It was a good interview and Doug was a wonderful person and just full of just fascinating tales of bluegrass but we had to cut that interview short because of technical it was like noise issues and feedback issues so I knew I had to go back to square one and try to sort things out well you know that whole thing ballooned into just almost me saying these interviews are just too much trouble so I got another computer I got a Windows box, and but anyway, I was talking about Josh Cole, and he and I had been talking and had an interview set up, and I canceled it. I canceled it. It was the day after I did the Doug Hutchins interview, which is a good interview. It's just noisy and, um, and no fault of Doug's. Anyway, I canceled with Josh, and I said, let's do it later. I'm going to get this sorted out, so... I have made some progress in getting this sorted out. You know, this is not, it's not incredibly easy to do this whole thing. It's its pretty easy just to turn on the recorder and record the podcast and, you know, let it rip. And I put the beginning and the ending on it. I might do a few minor edits in the middle. You know, if I, if I coughed or something, I might, you know, take that out or something, but the uh, doing phone calls is a bit of a problem because you never know what the other person has on their end. Do they just have an iPhone? Do they have a dial-up phone? 
Do they have a computer with Skype? Have they ever done Facebook chat? I mean, there's just a lot of possibilities on the other end. And I've even done a few episodes where the interviewee recorded themselves. You know, they set up a microphone and recorded themselves while I recorded myself. And then we merged the two files together. They, in other words, they, they just had a mic sitting in front of them. We talked on the phone over headphones, and but their microphone was capturing them, and my microphone was capturing me, and I just put the two files together and merged them, took them from a stereo track down to mono, and made it into you know a higher quality audio conversation. But the conversation we were actually having you know sounded pretty lo-fi you might say. But anyway, Josh Cole, he put out this episode and I just have to tell you about it because to me it's it's weird. It's one of those little coinky dinks. You know that little coincidental thing. There I was talking about Don Reno and you know who talks about Don Reno today. You know, it 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 doesn't come up as much as Bela or you know any of the other hot banjo players out there today. Don Reno is not around anymore, and so there aren't you know there aren't a lot of people that remember him, and you know they're not beating down the doors of the record store to buy a Don Reno record. And so just the fact that that Don Reno thought came through my mind, and I listened to some Don Reno records that day and then the I think it was the following day I pull up iTunes and oh I got a new episode from the Josh Cole Bluegrass show it is episode 190 so go to iTunes search for Josh Cole and go to the most recent episode episode 190 it is this is great I love this thing and it was like so timely I just you know, I, that's why I'm so impressed by the coincidence of this. That's why I'm re-recording the ending for the for the podcast. It is Don Reno, Bill Harrell, and the Tennessee Cut-Ups, a live set from 1975. It's just, it's fabulous. You know... A lot of people know that Don Reno played with Bill Monroe, was, you know, he was, uh, you know, some would say he was the first choice before Earl, and then Reno got drafted into the Army, and Earl got, uh, I don't know what you call it, uh, deferment, I think, because his mother was a widow, or something like that, where, you know, he wasn't like, you know, number one on the draft pick list. So he, he didn't have to go and serve in the Army. Now, I don't know if he ever did. I don't think he did. But, you know, that's sort of irrelevant to this. But it would it affected Bluegrass because Reno more or less had the job and was drafted and went into World War II. And Earl picked up the gig. And the rest is history, as we say. And then, of course, Earl left the band, Bill Monroe and the Bluegrass Boys, and formed Flat and Scruggs with Lester Flat. And who did Bill call? Don Reno. And Reno came in and played for a short period of time with Bill Monroe and the Bluegrass Boys. So Don Reno is an important figure, but he played very similarly to Scruggs, yet very differently. I mean, they you you can just it's a contrast. It's it's so different the way the two of them soloed, especially and played backup and and somewhat their attitude and 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 their singing styles and just they were very different musicians. But they both fit into the Bill Monroe bluegrass model. Anyway. I have loved Don Reno. I've been extremely mystified over the years by his his playing because he is sort of the the um, the first uh, proponent, I guess you'd say, or the, who who did single string. 
And this is sort of like if you were to pick up a five-string banjo and play it with a flat pick, like, you know, Tony Rice would flat pick his Martin, and you flat pick a banjo, well, that's what you would do on the banjo, except you wouldn't actually use a flat pick. You would use your thumb pick and maybe your index finger back and forth. Downstrokes with the thumb, upstrokes with the index, and you simulate a flat picking motion. That's what Bela Fleck's doing, you know? I mean, on, on you know, many things. I'm not going to get into the into the weeds as i said in the in the podcast I, I can actually remember that from a couple of days ago but i just thought it was really interesting that there i'm yakking about don reno and then boom josh cole puts out a don reno and bill harrell and the tennessee cutups set and it's a good one you gotta go listen to it just go to itunes search for josh cole look for episode 190 and listen to it and I don't think Josh will mind this. I'm going to take this show out with a little bit of that, his show. Sorry, Josh, if I'm violating 10,000 copyright laws. Let's just call this fair use because I'm discussing it or whatever. Um, Here's a little bit of the show to whet your appetite and then get over there and listen to Josh's full episode. Y'all take it easy. Here we go. Don Reno and the Tennessee Cut-Ups. Don, why don't you entertain the folks with the banjo signal? Banjo signal? 